You're listening to the Co-Creator Network. When you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. Good afternoon. Welcome to Why Shamanism Now? A practical path to authenticity with your host, Christina Pratt director of the Last Mask Center for Shamanic Healing. She's talking about how shamanic skills can bring us to physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual well-being, especially when nothing else can. Now, here's your host, Christina Pratt. Welcome, everyone, to Why Shamanism Now. This is your host, Christina Pratt, and I would like to begin expressing my gratitude to the ancestors, to all of those people that have lived here on this planet over many, many times who lived and dreamt and cast their blessings and wishes towards the future and asked that there could be a better time for their descendants. And I give thanks to these ancestors for dreaming of this future, that we could be here now at this most auspicious time, at this changing of the worlds, at this opportunity to participate in writing a new story for the people in the new world. And so I call these ancestors in to all of those who lived well and died well and who bring all that is good and true and beautiful in our lines to us. I call out to this lineage to be with us here today and to help us to do what only the living can do. And I ask these ancestors to help us to learn from their mistakes in the past, to find the courage to innovate and the inspiration to do things in new ways where that is necessary, that we can learn from those in the past and prepare the way for those who are coming. So I give such gratitude for these ancestors for listening, for gathering around, and for helping us to do what we have come here to do. And so let's turn our awareness from the ancestors to ourselves and draw our energy from our heads down into our hearts and from our hearts down into our bellies and from our bellies down into the earth. And as we touch the earth with this heart and this intention, let us take a moment and give thanks for our lives. Thanks for the great beauty and wonder and diversity all around us here on earth. Thanks for all that has been in each of our journeys that has brought us to this moment. Thanks for this moment, pregnant and empty. And thanks for all that will be. We give such gratitude to the earth for the generosity in her dreaming that we could be here in a way that allows for change, for healing, for transformation, for inspiration and innovation and the ability to express new things here in the world. There's such great, great generosity and benevolence in this dream and we give thanks for this dream of which we are dreaming. So we give thanks to the earth for the wonder and awe of life and extend our energy down now with great gratitude into each layer of the earth all the way down to the very center of the earth. We anchor ourselves firmly there, choosing to be here in this day, in this body, at this time, and draw the earth's energy up, drawing into ourselves the energy of restoration and rejuvenation, replenishment. We call this energy up that we draw into ourselves the wisdom of manifestation, that we can know how to be here in form in a good way. And as we draw the energy of the earth up through all the layers of the earth, just like a crystal clear spring of water on a hot, hot day bubbling up to the surface for the weary traveler, we call this earth energy up and draw it into our body. And may we use this energy to ground ourselves in this day, to create a sense of hearth and home, 
and to create a sense of hearth and home that welcomes the other, that invites people different than ourselves in, and that acknowledges that we are here living in the earth, on this earth with things other than human. So may you remember in this sense of hearth and home to set out that bowl of milk for the spirits of nature, that you remember that we are not here alone. And we give thanks to the earth for helping us to remember this, for the beautiful reminders around us in every day. And may we use that earth energy to begin to feel this connection, to feel the interconnection of things and ultimately the great oneness of life. And may, in that moment of knowing that oneness, may we take stock of our relationship with ourself and come into right relationship there and then right relationship with others, right relationship with the environment and right relationship with the invisible world. And we ask the energy of the earth to help us in this way. And we draw the energy of the earth up from our bellies to our hearts, our hearts to our minds, and extend out through the sky and whatever crazy weather it holds for you there today, and out through the atmosphere and out into the cosmos, reaching all the way up to the highest power of the universe. And by whatever name you know that power, name it. See yourself reflected in it and it reflected in you and draw this energy down. We draw down the sky energies, the nourishing energy of the sun. We draw these energies in to bring into ourselves, into our day, into these proceedings, the essence energy of blessings. We draw in the energy of protection, generosity, devotion, and the benevolence of the universe. And in this way, we draw down all the wisdom of the cosmos connecting to those ancestors that came from so far away and drawing in even the energy of the stars to help us to understand this unique moment of being alive. And so we call this energy into our head, into our heart, into our belly, and we send that sky energy all the way down to the center of the earth. And we're here for a moment in our body, filled with the energy of the earth and sky, these two great legendary lovers here within us. And we ask this energy of the Tao, of this oneness, to invite our heart to awaken and to open and to be here now. And so we invite the heart to be that profoundly unique crucible of change that it is, that can draw up the fiery passions of the belly and down the crystal clarity of the mind and hold them together in the heart until they give birth to a third and most sacred thing, which is the understanding, the heart memory of why you are here. And may you find in that beautiful human heart the courage to do something in this day, large or small, to bring that uniqueness, that beauty into the world in some way. So with the spirits gathered around us here today, I give thanks. May what needs to be said be said. May what needs to be heard be heard. And may these proceedings go forward in a way that is good for all living things. And I also give gratitude to the spirits of those of you who are the listeners, who in the generosity of your heart give financially to the show so that I can pay the bills, keep the show on the air, and to keep it free. And we're moving now into the fifth year of archives of the show, and they exist in many places on the internet. If you can't find them, let me know. But thank you. For without your support, without your listener support, we would not still be here and we would not be doing what we're doing. And so thank you very much. And I thank those of you who help the show to grow in other ways because perhaps you're not able to donate financially. Thank you for sending me questions, sending me show ideas, 
but mostly thank you for living these ideas, for bringing them into your lives, for wrestling with them, for struggling with them, and for finding the beauty in them, and then letting me know how it goes either way. So if your heart is moved in any way by this show here today, moved to inspiration or distraction, however you are moved, know you've been moved in the heart, and allow that movement in the heart to motivate your action. This is the fundamental understanding of power in shamanism, the heart in action in the world. And do something, large or small, to help the show to grow. Um, If you want to donate to the show, you can go to whyshamanismnow.com and uh, donate any amount, large or small. It all goes directly to keeping the show on the air. And we thank you for that. We also thank the sponsorship of the Society of Shamanic Practitioners. This is a Society of Shamanic Practitioners interview series show, and we thank them for their generous support as well. So I'd also like to thank uh, my guest today, Sandra Ingerman. Thank you, Sandy, for being with us here today. Yeah, it's my pleasure. It's always a pleasure to be with you. Thanks. So for those of you who don't know, I I can't believe anyone doesn't, but anyway, for those of you who don't know, I'll do my duty here. Sandy is an author, a teacher, a licensed therapist, and is recognized internationally for addressing the needs of our times directly by bridging ancient cross-cultural healing methods into our modern culture. She is the author of Soul Retrieval, Medicine for the Earth, How to Heal Toxic Thoughts, How to Thrive in Challenging Times, and Awakening to the Spirit World, uh, which she co-wrote with Hank Wesselman. Sandra teaches workshops internationally um, on shamanic journeying, healing, and reversing um, environmental pollution using spiritual methods. She has been writing a monthly newsletter, Transmutation News, since 1998, which in and of itself is a massive endeavor. Um, and this newsletter goes out to over 8,000 people's um, inboxes worldwide. And this monthly inspiration helps practitioners to stay focused um, on the work of being positive change makers in the world. Sandy also has numerous offerings, um, teleseminar-wise and um, audio-wise through Sounds True. And you can also get access to all of it by just going to Sandra Ingerman, S-A-N-D-R-A-I-N-G-E-R-M-A-N.com. And everything is everything you need is there. Um, we also have a, um, several shows with Sandy in the archives here at whyshamanismnow.com. So our focus today in particular is on finding soul retrieval training. And so our focus is a bit today oriented towards practitioners or those who would like to develop their skills as a practitioner. Um, But we also want the show to stand on its own. Oh, and before I forget, we are actually live today. So if you'd like to ask um, Sandy a question, please feel free to call in at 512-772-1938. You can Skype in from the co-creatornetwork.com site, um, or you can email me at christina at lastmaskcenter.org, and we would be happy to share your questions on the air. So, Sandy, as I was saying, we do kind of need to make sure the show stands on its own. So let's, mm-hmm. let's spend the first few minutes kind of at the beginning of things with maybe just start with a, a basic description of soul retrieval healing. Sure. So, soul loss is um, one of the diagnoses of illness from a classic shamanic point of view. And in most shamanic cultures around the world, soul loss is seen to be one of the main um, physical and emotional issues that uh, that come up for for people. 
And basically what happens is that when, from a shamanic point of view, whenever we suffer an emotional or physical trauma, there's the possibility that a piece of our soul, the definition of soul that I'm using is essence, a piece of our essence, a piece of our vitality, leaves our body so that we can survive the experience and that we don't get the full impact of the pain. And in psychology, we talk about this as dissociation, but we don't talk about the what what dissociates. In, in shamanism, we talk about to escape the full impact of the pain, our soul flees into the dream time, into the invisible worlds where it's waiting um, to return. But from a shamanic point of view, the soul doesn't always turn uh, return on its own. Uh, in our modern day culture where soul retrieval isn't as practiced as much as it was in an indigenous culture, I think that some parts of our soul have to come back or we'd all be catatonic. But the major parts of our soul oftentimes don't come back until somebody uh, journeys in your behalf and goes out to get that energy, that vitality, to bring it back to the body again. And so in our culture, things that might cause soul loss would be any kind of an abuse, emotional, physical, sexual abuse, being in an accident, uh, being under anesthesia during surgery, uh, wartime stress is a big cause of soul loss. Um, I already said accidents, but anything that would cause shock, anything that causes shock to the system could create soul loss. And I I always use the same example of this because um, I think it makes so much sense to me. If I'm going to be in a head-on car collision, the very last place that I want to be at the point of impact is in my body. I couldn't um, withstand that kind of pain. And so the psyche has a brilliant self-protect mechanism. We go way while that um, trauma is happening. Again, from a shamanic point of view, that part of ourselves that goes away doesn't necessarily come back on its own. And so the soul retrieval process is where the shaman or a trained shamanic practitioner goes out with his or her helping spirits, number one, to first locate where the soul has fled to because there are many worlds in the invisible um, realms and where did the soul flee to and then um, to actually bring the full vitality and that energy back again to the body. And there are so many different ceremonies that shamans use around the world to do that, that we can't really limit what the procedure is. It's about really working with the divine inspiration of the helping spirits to individualize a ceremony for different clients and for different needs. And so, in essence, it, it, it has to function. <laughs> doesn't matter yeah. what it looks like as long as it works. <laughs> right, yeah. I think that's key. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, one of the things that you have said is that there's a lot to understand about the results of bridging the powerful and ancient methods of soul retrieval into modern-day psych- psychologically sophisticated culture. And mm-hmm. this seems to me, as you're talking about, okay, so the soul parts are back, but it doesn't end there with contemporary people. Yeah. Um, I mean, for, first of all, I just want to back up just for a okay. minute and then go into the question that you just asked. 
I think that one of the issues, um, even before we get to the integration part in a modern-day culture, is that shamans always went into expanded states of consciousness and worked with their helping spirits. And so shamanism has, shamanic healing has always been way beyond a method, you know, the steps of the ceremony or the steps of the actual method that's being performed. There was always a magic behind the method. And that's something in a modern day world that we really need to bring back because today's shamanic practitioners are looking at their notes and trying to follow the steps of the method but the method wasn't what was important. It was always the energy behind the method. So in a shamanic culture, there was the soul retrieval ceremony that had a magic to it, the energy behind the method, the energy behind um, the actual ceremony itself that brought the person back into their body. But in indigenous cultures, people already knew how to live in harmony with nature and how to live in harmony in their community. So basically, they already knew what the cause of their illness was or the cause that um, created their soul loss, and they knew how to rejoin the community and go back into living a harmonious life again. In a modern-day psychologically sophisticated culture where in our upbringing, you know, we're basically taught how to survive and listen to what you learned in school and from society, um, follow the rules, uh, don't be too creative, don't look too far within, uh, don't express your own light in the world, just try to get by we haven't really been taught what what does that mean to live a harmonious and healthy life and what does it mean to live in harmony with nature you know i think everybody who's listening to this show knows that human beings are quite out of balance with nature and that's why nature is speaking out so strongly right now with all the environmental problems that we're having and so with a lot of practitioners who are trained today, it's just assumed that what all we have to do is bring back the soul and tell the person to go out and live a good life. But most clients don't know what that means to go back out and live a good life. You know, they go back to um, relationships that aren't working, friendships that aren't working, lifestyles that aren't working. Um, jobs that aren't working for them, a lack of creativity, a lack of understanding what would even bring passion and meaning back into their lives again that would make them feel good about being back home and back in their body again. There's a lot of assumptions that's made that Westerners already know how to live life in a good way and how to um, re-spark joy and passion and meaning. And that's what uh, needs to really be part of the integration process that shamanic practitioners bring into their work is not assuming that people know how to rejoin their community in a good way, how to rejoin nature and the world and their body in a good way, um, people need to relearn how to live life in a healthy way again. 
Well, plus you have the time factor in there, which is in a in an indigenous culture, the soul retrieval will be happening in a relatively quick time frame to the loss. So it's almost mm-hmm. like the person doesn't have time to learn to live differently. But as you've said, you know, we're bringing back soul parts that have been gone 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years, 70 years. And Absolutely. so the person's entirely adapted to living differently. And sometimes people want to be well, but they don't want to make the change that's required by the part that's come back. Well, it's it's not only that people don't want to make the change, it's people don't even want to do the work. Right. And, and so that's one of the shadow sides of what's happening in shamanism today is people go to doctors and they take a pill and it's not quite working. But you know, they, they've, people have learned you, you go for medicine, you get a pill, um, you go to psychotherapy, you get a method. And so now people are saying, well, you know, I've, I've been to traditional medicine, I've been to psychotherapy, and I'm still not feeling so great. Oh, I heard about um, soul retrieval or some other kind of shamanic healing. I'll go there, and what all I have to do is lie down and, mm-hmm. and like a pill, um, you know, just take in what the shamanic practitioner brings me back or whatever method is performed on me, and I don't have to do anything. And that that's not, you know, that for some people it does work. There are miraculous cures, and there's always been miraculous cures. But most people have to do the work, and and that's something that a lot of people don't want to do. It's like... Um, I went I went for a healing and it didn't work. Well, did you do anything afterwards to, you know, work with the integration of your soul? What changes do you need to make in your life to provide long-term healing for yourself? What lifestyle changes do you need to make? Um have you done any exploration of your inner world and and you know it's no um what in a world or or i read a book or you know it's about you know we really we we we're just not living our lives to the fullest and there's a part of ourselves i think that does that pushes us towards alternative forms of healing um and so there's a part inside of us that wants to feel the joy that's possible in this lifetime and wants to feel good in a body and living on earth. But the rational mind is like, well, you know, I don't have the energy. Um, I, you know, I work too many hours. I don't have the time. You know, we're pretty stressed out. And so people would prefer to be in a passive role instead Mm -hmm. of an active role. And a passive role does not create long-term healing. Right. And then one of the problems with that, with soul retrieval work in particular, is if we don't change the patterns, the energy of the part coming back can just flow into the old patterns. Absolutely. And what I always say is when you're out of your body, which you are with soul loss, um, you know, you're, you're, you don't quite have the full capacity to create in your life. And when you come back in, it, people don't realize that now they have more available to them to just create another illness trauma drama in their life without knowing it or without not with mm-hmm. 
and the habitual um, crises that have happened in our life, now we have more energy to just provide more momentum for them to continue. So there has to be a stop button of, you know, I don't want this to continue and I am willing to do whatever work that needs to be done to break the pattern. And it, it, it's not that it takes a lot of time in your day, like, oh, I work so much, um, I don't have time to bring more things into my life. It has to do with learning how to shift our perception, uh, learning how to work with our thoughts, our attitudes a bit, learning how to just look at our lifestyle and how to make really um, very simple changes, you know, that kind of start to act like a domino effect where it it creates um, more power and more joy in our own lives. And so I think people feel so overwhelmed by how much has to be done instead of being willing to look at a step-by-step process that here in life, it's not all going to get worked out in a day. This is part of our path, and when we step onto a spiritual path, it's the simple changes that we make throughout our day that lead to the greatest healing in the end. Well, and and my job as a practitioner then is to help each individual person understand how, how given their life, their support system or lack of that, their skill set or lack of that, they can make, they can, they can, that actual person can make those actual changes and so what works for one person doesn't necessarily work for another person you can't just have one program absolutely so integration fitness (laughs) right well and because all the issues the core issues that are coming up are are so different it's Mm -hmm. it's like in my soul retrieval trainings uh one of the exercises that i lead in that workshop is i have practitioners a journey to get um, a ritual that their partner can perform over time, a long-term ritual to break a, a life pattern that's been plaguing them where maybe an issue comes up where it started when you were very, very young. And if you review your life, you realize that the people keep changing in your life, but the issue keeps remaining the same. So I have people look at a ritual that they can bring back that people can do on a very regular basis that can help them um, uh, start to re-energize a new pattern in their life. But not everybody needs that. You can't, you can't give, I don't give every client who comes to see me a ritual to break an old pattern because that might not be what they need. And... Or they just simply won't do that, and that's part of the thing is what will the person do because we have to help them do something. Yeah, Right. Yeah. It's about, I think that's one of the fears I think that practitioners have is, you know, am I not going to know what to do, either in the soul retrieval or with the integration work? So, okay, this is what I was taught. This is the method. This is the steps. This is the integration process, and as long as I, you know, follow the steps that I've been taught, that's all I have to do. But shamans didn't work like that, and old-time shamanic teachers didn't. I've worked with people who have trained with the same Weichel shaman down in Mexico and learned the same exact ceremony in different ways from that same shaman because Mm -hmm. the shaman individualized it to what that student needed didn't Mm -hmm. teach the ceremony in exactly the same way. 
And so, you know, I, I think that there's a lot of misunderstanding that shamans did the same thing with every person. And we're not looking at individuals. We try to put everybody into um, a program. And I remember receiving a letter from uh, that from the Iraq War. It was many, many um, years ago. When, and, it, you know, it really broke my heart. Of um, You know, he wrote to me and he said that, you know, he had been trying to find practitioners uh, to work with, and he felt like he was on an assembly line, you know, mm-hmm. um, where, you know, he wasn't, nobody was listening to him and what was going on for him. It was just he was given the treatment, you know, whatever that mm-hmm. treatment was. And it lacked that individuality of what he really needed. And so, you know, I helped him find a well-trained practitioner and, and you know, he, he did well. But, you know, that's really the key is um, is being able to listen, look at the individual, work with your spirits um, to really... Um, make an individual program for each client. And to do that both the way we need to do that when we're doing the retrieval itself and right. then to bring the same qualities to the follow-up integration piece. And so our our ability because, – because the other thing is not even just that people are different. It's every soul part is different. Every mm-hmm. shamanic healing session any one individual gets is different. Right. And so, you know, it's not a great job for someone who can't handle the unknown and uncertainty. <laughs> right. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, one of the things I've been doing in my workshops recently, and I just did this in a soul retrieval workshop in Germany, I had extra time the very first day of the workshop before we did anything. And I had people pair up with a person and go to a helping spirit and ask their helping spirit to perform a healing method on this person that they had never seen before or learned before. Um, you know, I think that we're so method-oriented and rule-oriented instead of really opening up to the divine inspiration of the spirits and instead of going to them and saying, you know, I need this particular method of just saying, here's my client, here's their complaint, do what you do, you know, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and just use me as your vessel. Um yeah. And, you know, that's such a powerful way to work. And I think my fear and my disappointment is I really believe that shamanic healing has so much potential, so much potential to heal some of the unusual and, and, and devastating problems that people are experiencing right now. And we're not taking shamanism to its fullest potential because we're keeping it in a box and we're we're keeping it as practitioners in a box that feels comfortable to us how we trained instead of opening up to you know the unlimited energy of the spirits and what they have to offer us we tell them what to do um you know we say i i want you to do you know i'm doing a soul retrieval on this person and this is how I learned how to do it. So you have to conform to the method mm-hmm. that I learned instead of open up to what the spirits really want to bring through. And would we see different results if practitioners were comfortable doing that and not just comfortable doing it, but doing it? 
Yeah, and and beginning to develop a certain kind of skill or or ease or inspiration in being able to work that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So before we get, I'm not quite sure where to go next, but one question I'd like to explore a little bit. I mean, it's such a big topic, and I'm you know within yeah. an hour to talk about you know, and right. this idea that of keeping shamanic healing in a box is pretty near and dear to my heart. Um, but but one aspect of this that I would like to explore today, this, this soul retrieval, soul retrieval training topic is I'm not sure people, fu- and particularly practitioners, fully appreciate the, what, what can happen if we actually don't do this well. I mean, the two things we've already mm-hmm. talked about are the obvious ones. A, the person has the, the, the perception that it didn't work, right? Mm-hmm. And so they're going to be less inclined to, to continue to get soul retrieval work and they probably really need it. So, there's it just doesn't work um, on one hand, but it, it can it can be bigger than that in in what can happen if we don't actually do this well. Right, right. Well, you know, p- part of doing it well is not just bringing through the lost energy, but how to communicate what was brought back to the client. And that's the piece where I see people getting really hurt. And it breaks my heart when I see clients getting hurt because it's not something that the spirits did. Um, it's, it's more a lack of common sense on the part of the practitioner on how to communicate the story in the journey. And, you know, one of the things is we watch so much TV um, you know, we watch so many movies, we're so hooked into these dramas and the thrill and the adrenaline rush, and that spills over oftentimes into how shamanic practitioners share their journeys. And it it took me years to figure out what was going wrong as I was called into work with so many people who had been hurt by other practitioners um, having soul retrieval work. And I finally realized what was going on, I I realized a few things that were going on. One was um, that when the spirits show you details of any kind of trauma or any story that's going on, they're showing you why the soul left. So if you were in an accident or some kind of um, abuse or um, you got humiliated when you were young age, you might have left your body because you were humiliated. You couldn't stand that pain of humiliation and your soul fled. But a lot of practitioners actually say the words, I brought you back a soul part that was humiliated. And so if you follow that train of thought, how is that person going to feel? If you tell a person, as one person practitioner told a client once, I brought you back a suicidal 17-year-old. I mean, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out what happened after that. And, I'm just sitting here shaking my head. I'm sorry. And, you know, and I tell these stories in my story tree workshops, not, not to scare people or to feed the drama, but to educate people that you have to use your common sense of how you communicate. And when you look at our culture today, let's go back to our modern-day culture, not an indigenous culture, but a modern-day culture, people are coming for shamanic healings because they're in such a, a state of despair and hopelessness. They don't know why they should wake up tomorrow. They really don't. 
And I, we've all been there, most likely. That's part of being a wounded healer, uh, being a shamanic practitioner. I've been there many times. I don't need any more bad news. I don't need somebody to tell me that they brought back a suicidal part when I don't even know why I should get up tomorrow or that they brought back humiliation. They blew the energy of humiliation into my body. I don't need that. What people need is they need inspiration. What came back with that soul retrieval that's going to make me feel like I want to wake up tomorrow? So part of shamanism is, is knowing how to tell healing stories. And, and what's happened with a lot of um, practitioners today is they get so stuck in the story of the soul loss, what happened that created the soul loss, that they never seek further to find out, well, that trauma ended, but the soul that's coming back comes back with these incredible gifts the gift to dream again, the gift of knowing um, joy again, um, the gift of wonder and awe and how to love and be touched and, and the love of nature. You know, these, there are gifts and strengths that are coming back to empower the client and to make them want to work to, well, how do I get in touch with that gift Instead of, oh, my God, now I, I already worked in psychotherapy for 20 years about all the terrible things that happened to me, and now you're telling me that I have to look at more stuff? You know, I came to you because I don't want to wake up tomorrow morning, and now you're just giving me more bad news. And mm-hmm. so how do we as modern-day practitioners not deny and say your life was always rosy and you need to shift your perception about that. But to say, well, you know, maybe life wasn't so good for you and maybe you don't know why you should wake up tomorrow morning, but let me tell you what I brought back, the strength and the gift that I can help you get in touch with right now, that your soul returns with this incredible beauty, this amazing energy, um, this incredible curiosity and state of wonder about life, and this is what's come back again. And then you see a light go off in people's eyes. And, you know, that's what soul retrieval, the process of soul retrieval should be doing, is there should be a light going off in your client's eyes, not a looking down of, yeah, my life was always terrible, and it always will be, and you Mm -hmm. just validated that by the story you just told me. Yeah, yeah. And you said there were, there were several things. Well, yeah, that's one of them. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and not, uh, we, we already talked about this, but not bringing in that um, integration process because, um, because what can start to happen is where what we talked about is that that energy comes back with a force and the client doesn't understand how much energy has been brought back to them, and they haven't been taught or the seed hasn't been planted about being able to change one's focus, and so then the client goes out and creates something even bigger happening mm-hmm. to them mm-hmm. in their life. It, and it's not, and it's not the client's fault, and it, it's, you know, it, I'm not trying to get into a place of we're responsible for everything that happens to us and we need to blame ourselves for everything that goes wrong. 
It's just that we need to get the skill set of learning how to redirect our energy. And if that's not given, uh, we can't assume that a client knows how to do that. And we oftentimes see disastrous results of a person doesn't know how to redirect their energy. And so that old habitual behavior just gets stronger and people end up manifesting more trauma in their lives instead of the joy that's possible with the return of of the soul. Well, and part of the kind of culturally shared allopathic medical system idea is that I'm healthy and then I catch an illness and that if that illness would just go away, I would be healthy again Mm -hmm. instead of realizing that a person actually – that that's not true, that the person is living in such a way that that illness is a logical conclusion and the only way to not keep going back to that illness or that pattern of suffering or whatever is to change – the way the person is living. And I think people import that idea into receiving shamanic healing instead of realizing, no, the you, the the current time you is going to be changed by this process if you participate. Mm -hmm. And and that's a good thing. We want that. I mean, because that person is living in the logical conclusion of their life and their belief systems. There isn't another way to do this but the way you're doing it unless something shifts. And here's the soul part with all these great energies that can help you make that happen, but you have to be willing to shift with it. Right. And I've also heard of practitioners um, who have, you know, I, I hate when I hear these stories, but I've heard of practitioners who say, I did a soul retrieval for you, your life should change, and if it doesn't change, it's your fault. You know, yes. not, you know not wanting to do more work. And, and yeah. you know, that's very harmful to say to a person, I did the healing work, and, and you know, it, you should have um, experienced an alleviation of symptoms, and if you didn't, it's your fault, you know. Yeah. And, again, it's a, a la- I don't know what it is. It's a laziness or a lack of commitment, just wanting the high of doing the actual ceremonial work without um, being willing to help the client move through some of the issues. But, you know, it, it's very harmful. I've had clients who have come to me after having a soul retrieval, you know, just saying I was told, you know, that my issue should be gone and um, it's my fault and that it's not. And that's not um, a healing story to ever tell another client. And so we do need to let people know that they have to make a shift. And if you don't want to do as a practitioner the integration work, then it's important to at least let people know where they can get more work or what kind of work they might want to explore to look at being able to make those healthy shifts in their life. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think these two things we've been talking about really go together because making shifts isn't always easy, granted. I mean, um, but often it's wanting um, that quality the soul part gets back enough, wanting it enough that we um, will do the work. You know, it's like, I really want that joy back, and so I'm going to make this change happen. Yeah. Well, when you you hear about the gifts, when you get a real true healing story and you hear about the gifts that have been brought back, that naturally, energetically, if you follow the energy of that, it's going to spark a passion, a curiosity um, inside of a client where... If you don't tell a healing story after and either share just the trauma or your soul parts back with nothing, which 
I, you know, I, I know was done in indigenous cultures, but again, we're in a different culture today. If you don't share something and then a person doesn't feel anything different, um, then they move deeper into a place of despair where we're trying to um, spark some creativity, that creative fire, that passion back into a person to move forward in their lives. And again, this wasn't an issue in indigenous cultures, but it really is an issue in our modern day yeah. culture. Yeah. You know, we're, we're asleep and hopefully the gifts that come back along with the profound energy of the returned soul uh, will spark. Um, it's, it's an energetic process that sparks something that wants to happen. Oh, and I don't know if you had another thing on your list here of sort of the problems that can happen. Um, I know one, one of them that you've mentioned is part of the problem is, you know, learning to do a soul retrieval, just technically speaking, isn't really very hard if you already know how to journey. Mm-hmm. And so there are lots of practitioners that just incorporate it as some other modality like learning, you know, neck adjustments. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, you know, without necessarily understanding the full complement of shamanic healing skills and that, you know, to be able to effectively bring this part back and set this person up to be able to integrate it, other things might need to happen. Absolutely, yeah. And, you know, typically soul retrieval was not the only healing that needed to happen. If you have a lot of soul loss, you might have an intrusion and so or a possessing spirit. And today what we see is a lot of shamanic practitioners are drawn to studying soul retrieval, but they don't want to learn any of the other healing methods, which is yeah. fine. Um, it's fine not to perform them in shamanic cultures. You saw people specializing, but know enough about them that you can refer um, a client to another practitioner because the work wasn't finished. Not everybody just needs a soul retrieval and nothing else, and that's another assumption. Another um, problem that can happen in the hurting of a client is some people, again, they don't have the confidence and the experience needed to really trust their helping spirits. So they more kind of rationalize what might need to come back after hearing a story. And so some um, practitioners don't truly connect with their helping spirits and go for anything that looks like it might want to come back and and they weren't really connected with their helping spirits. They were doing the work on their own and ended up bringing back an energy that didn't belong to that person. And that those situations are rare, but I have seen them, and that can create a lot of harm for a person too. Yeah. So I know just an example for me that I remember all the time is um, – there was a number of kids that had been in a very physically and sexually abusive family. Um, and many of the soul parts of different children were hiding in the same place together. And mm-hmm. so you couldn't even assume that every part that was there belonged to your client. Exactly. And, you know, and then for the person, you know, the person who's getting the healing is probably the caretaker in the family anyway. <laughs> you know, it's like all they need is now the soul parts of their brothers and sisters to take exactly. care of now, you know. It's like, oh, what a nightmare. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, there's, there, it's, it just, you know, you need to, I, what practitioners don't always do, 
some practitioners schedule, you know, hour sessions and, and don't always take the time to really do the preparation work, um, don't always take the time to really listen to what's happening for their clients so that they can um, make the, the client feel like they're being heard, even though the helping spirits already know what to do. That's part of the healing process is to make the client feel comfortable and safe in the process. And that's part of it is um, you're not going to be receptive if you don't feel like you've been heard. Uh, there's a lot of preparation work that goes into soul retrieval, you know, being able for the practitioner to drop their boundaries, thinking about, oh, my God, I need to be, you know, an hour from now I have another client or I need to be at another appointment. And so a, a lot of times the, the preparation work isn't done in a way to really move um, the practitioner into the expanded states that shamans went into. I mean, shamans did vision quests. They fasted. Um, you know, they did all kinds of preparation work um, as they did their healing to move into expanded states of consciousness. And do all practitioners really take that time, that kind of time to expand enough to bring through the required energies that are really going to make a difference in people's lives. Well, Sandy, we're, we're, we're here doing a good job talking about what not to do, but we only have about 10 minutes. And I would like to actually ask you, you know, you've been teaching soul retrieval to gajillions of people all over the world in all different cultures for decades now. So mm-hmm. what, what is your sense of what we need to be doing today in training people working in, this, in these contemporary cultures? Well, um, I think teaching people the importance of doing preparation work and getting into enough of an expanded state that you've moved into the invisible realms completely and you're truly working in partnership with helping spirits um, slowing down, teaching people to slow down with their communication and teaching people about the power of healing stories and how words can either curse a person or they can heal a person. And what's the difference between cursing a person and healing a person and practicing that in a training, you know, for um, teachers to really bring the, that into their training and teaching people about how to tell healing stories and how the spirits um, show us what's happening for a person through metaphor and how to slow down in the journey to be able to learn how to understand the metaphor so that we're not coming back and sharing it in a literal way, which might not end up being a healing story. So slowing down in the process, not rushing it, Spending a lot of time in the journey, okay, this is what happened to the person, but what's coming back to help right now? What's coming back to help right now? And then also teaching students, um, practitioners, different areas of um, skill sets that people need right now to learn how to live our harmonious life um, on the planet with nature um, and, you know, that involves teaching people how to explore re- their relationship with themselves, their relationship with others, and relationship with the planet. And, you know, there are many different ways to do that through ceremony, through journeys, through guided visualizations. 
but learning those kinds of skill sets so that you can really give uh, clients tools to be able to improve their life. So, those are really key things. Yeah, yeah. And so what are you finding are the aspects of this training that um, – so, well, okay, so I guess we should say for those people that don't know that, you know sh- – soul retrieval quote unquote soul retrieval training is you know being offered by some people in one day or half you know (laughs) versus five days which is you know just enough hopefully to realize all that you don't know and to get Mm. you to actually you know sit up and pay attention (laughs) but you know and this is the landscape out there and this is what we're trying to talk about today is to help people who are looking to realize, you know, just because something is in weekends, if it's mm-hmm. really a, a longer training that's been broken into modules, let's say, and mm-hmm. you, you, you have to commit to all of them and you need to do them all, that, that still is the equivalent of one of these longer trainings. But right. condense, I mean, I always tell people this is one of the easiest things in the world to learn to do and one of the hardest things to learn to do well. Well, if you're just showing up for a couple of hours to learn the method, um, again, you're not going to learn the energy behind the method in a weekend or in you know a half a day session. You're just going to learn steps. That's all that that can be given during that time. And so, um, attention isn't brought to um, skill sets you can give your clients, skill sets you have to develop as a shamanic practitioner of preparation work, healing stories, learning the difference of planting seeds and creating beautiful plants in the inner landscape of a client um, versus creating more fear and despair in a person. Those kinds of subjects really, um, there's just not enough time. And then, um, what are some of the things that you can do to help people who um, need skill sets or who go into a healing crisis? What do you do when a client goes into a healing crisis? And so what I tell people who email me of I'm going to a short course, I say basically if you really care about the clients, then take the time to really learn as much as you can. Um, in the training and from your helping spirits yourself because soul retrieval is way beyond just simple steps that you're shown in a workshop situation. And so I try to turn it around about being in service to clients. And I think that that's, as practitioners, what we have to keep looking at is how do I deepen my work so I'm truly being in service? And a lot of people can't take off five days for you know, a course, but as you suggested, the course can be broken up into modules that can be once a week or, or um, you know, a weekend or a day for six weeks, and all those tools can be given in that kind of training. So one of the challenges I think that we've touched on a lot in this show is that we are in this culture that is... You know, I, I I hesitate sometimes to say psychologically more sophisticated because <laughs> I wonder about the sophistication part. <laughs> I know. But nonetheless, but at the same time, I think one of the hazards that moves us out of really working with spirit and doing the the thing that doesn't even necessarily make sense to us, but it's what we're being guided to do by spirit, and we we adapt it. 
to our own psychological perspective about what it so it's a it's a it's a tricky balance between mm-hmm. engaging with the psychology of of who we are and who our clients are but also not psychoanalyzing our shamanism right absolutely and it's about developing and deepening our inner landscapes and not just the outer methods that we've learned um you know that's really the key because if you have a really deep inner landscape, also as a shamanic practitioner, you're going to be a presence that um, fuels the healing process. And it's not going to be just about the method that you've performed, but all the energy and the sacred space that's being created that sparks the healing for the client. Yeah. So is there anything remaining that we haven't really touched on today that you feel is important uh, to share about this topic? Well, again, I think it's um, really important that we understand that shamanic healing, no matter what kind of healing you're doing, is beyond steps of a method. Um, We are addicted to methods in this culture And I oftentimes hear, I'm so available to my students, I oftentimes hear, oh, did you hear about this method or did you hear about this method? And so people are running around to workshops um, thinking that one method is more powerful than another, but they're not. You know, it doesn't matter what you do, if you have a good connection with your helping spirits and you're really letting them out of the box and letting them come through with the formless energies that can really heal And if you develop a really strong uh, and deep inner landscape yourself so that you're a presence as a healer, that also sparks healing to happen. And and I think those are the two vital things um, of opening up to the spirits and opening up to yourself and deepening yourself so that you're really healing through the power of love, which is uh, the power that really ends up creating the most tremendous and magnificent and miraculous healings. So, um, Sandy, thank you yeah. for all of your or your tireless work <laughs> helping us. To, well, I'm really to, committed to clients. You know, I, yeah. I, you know, everybody's life, we, we all have our stories and things are tough. But I'm on my shamanic path because it has been hard for me to wake up a lot of my life. And I know how many clients feel the same out there, and I feel they deserve the best. I've wanted the best treatment, and and I've gotten my help not through traditional methods but through shamanism. And I feel that we can provide a lot for clients we just really have to open ourselves up to make that intention to get the best spiritual education from ordinary teachers and non-ordinary teachers to be in best service to the planner right now and to help alleviate suffering. Well, thank you, Sandy, for that, that commitment, because I think if we can all commit there, it will make all of us better practitioners. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And thanks for all your tireless work. Cause you, <laughs> you've been out there for a long time doing brilliant work and trying to educate people about everything that goes into shamanism. You know, with your show, it's really brilliant. So thank, thank you. you. Thank you. 
Thank you. So thank you everyone also for listening here today. I forgot to mention that you, well, maybe I did. But anyway, you can connect with S- Sandy and all of her work at Sandra Ingerman, that's one word, sandraingerman.com. Um, and we give thanks to the ancestors that circled around us here today for the earth below, the sky above, and the heart that unites us all. Um, and thanks to you, Sandy, for joining us again. It's very, I'm very grateful. Thank you, Christina. And next week, we begin our series, our four-part series of art and shamanism. And I'm very excited about it. So I hope you'll all join me um, in, the ne- in the weeks to come. So thank you, everyone, for listening. And um, if you actually sense you need a soul retrieval, go find a good practitioner and get it. Because we've got work to do in the world here. <laughs> so go for it. Thank you, everyone. Have a great week. <laughs>